You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I thought, dear Lord, even as we worship, the Bible says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, even as we worship, dear Lord, I felt like the enemy was fleeing and the power of your Holy Spirit was wrapping all around us, filling us, enveloping us, and reminding us, dear Lord, that your love never fails, it never gives up, it never walks out on us. People may walk out on us. We may feel today lonely and isolated and hearts may be heavy and broken, dear Lord. We may be struggling and wrestling for direction and wisdom to know what to do in this situation or that. We may feel so broken today that we just feel like we just can't hardly go on. But we know, dear Lord, that you're here. We know, dear Lord, you said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when things seem to go wrong, and nothing is working out, you're still there. And so we give you glory. We praise you. You alone are worthy to be praised. And we ask you, dear Lord, to right now, open up our hearts. Speak to us through your word. Remind us, dear Lord, that we are loved. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who today is not a Christian, they've never given their heart and their life to you, I pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit will so impress upon them and draw them that nothing would keep them from that decision today. Lord, I pray for your messenger. Cleanse me. Let me be a vessel that you can use. Take away anything that would hinder your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, and we are beginning a series in the book of Genesis, and how long that takes, it may be to the rapture, I don't know. It may be a while, but I want you to take your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin a series called Beginnings. We're going going to be kind of highlighting and looking at different, uh, different aspects of the book of Genesis. book is written by, by Moses. In fact, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We call that the Pentateuch. And a lot of times when the synagogue would gather together, when they would gather in the synagogue, that one of the things that they would do is they would repeat the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The Shema. Then they would have a reading out of the Pentateuch. One of those five books. In fact, in the synagogue, they would go through those first five books every seven years. They, we were the first ones to discover the one-year Bible. Um, they had a, what they had it was a seven-year Old Testament Bible. So every seven years in the synagogue, they would go through the reading of the entire Old Testament. So they would have the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. 
Shema Israel. They would have that. Then they would have the Pentateuch, a reading out of those first five books. Then they would have a reading out of the prophets. And then they would invite somebody to speak. We looked on Wednesday night how often when Paul would go, and Paul was traveling in his missionary journeys, he would go to the synagogue and he would watch as they would do the Shema. Then they would read through the Pentateuch, have a reading out of the Pentateuch. Then they would have a reading out of the prophets. And then they would say, is there anyone here that would like to speak? And usually they would notice Paul. Paul was a rabbi. He was a member of the former member of the Sanhedrin. Paul was a powerful individual. And they would ask Paul to come and speak. Paul had memorized, now listen closely, Paul had memorized the Old Testament. Paul had memorized the Old Testament. I don't know about you, that's a powerful statement right there. Now, Moses writes these first five books, and the book that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, months, or ever, how long it takes us, is this book called Genesis. It has to do with beginnings, and And so if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and let's stand in honor of God's Word. Now, this is uh, uh, to a Jew, to an Israelite, among the Israelite people, this was what was probably a creation hymn. In other words, now listen closely because this is critical. Adam passed this hymn probably to Seth. Seth passed it to Enoch. Enoch perhaps passed it to Noah. Noah passed it to Abraham. Abraham passed it to Jacob, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And and, and so this was a creation hymn. And probably to many Jews, including Moses, they had memorized this creation hymn. So let's look at it. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's what it felt like a moment ago when we were worshiping. It was as if God was hovering over us. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and he separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called that expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. 
God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Don't you love that? Kind of like he flung them out there. God set, verse 17, God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the waters teemed, which with the waters teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, God saw that it was good, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals each according to its kind and it was so and God made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kind all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds and God saw that it was good then God said let us make man in our own image in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He, male and female, he created them. It's as if God is stressing this. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, that you'll use this to speak to our hearts. And we give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, I, want, I want to do something a little different today. And, and, and so I, I pray that you'll kind of listen and bear with me. I'll probably depend on my notes a little bit more because I want to use a little bit of an allegory or an analogy. And I want you to imagine with me, imagine there's an island. It's a primitive island. It's isolated. It sits alone by itself. And there's no TV. There's no radio. There's, there's no outside influence, none whatsoever. And they're natives. There are people that are living on that island that have never seen anything of our Western world. They know nothing about TV, radio. They know nothing about the science and some of the things that you and I take for granted. And they're isolated on this island. They know nothing of modern inventions. No electricity, no phones, nothing like that. One day, a young boy walking along the beach of that island discovers a watch 
He picks up the watch, he examines it, and then he carries it back to the elders in that, in that village among those natives there. The elders gather around, these old men begin to gather around, and they look at this watch and they begin to study it, and conversations begin to take place. Long, late night dialogue is taking place. They watch as this, as this they, they hold it up. It, it makes a sound, a ticking sound, and there's a noise to it. They watch as these needles are moving and, and, and making their way around. They're perplexed. Can't figure it out. Now, I want you to note something because it is critical, and maybe this will help you. And young parents, you need to listen closely. They, number one, they study it. Number two, they take it apart. They begin to try to figure out how to take it apart and put it back together. And before long, they become somewhat experts on this, on this watch. Number three, Experts begin to develop, and before long, knowledge, they become very knowledgeable about different components. They even have a meeting on the other side of the island called the Spring Convention, where they have those that have studied some of the internal working of it, and they're meeting together. Others may be a quartz or the hands of this watch. Soon, theoretical physicists begin to attempt to determine what governs this watch, what laws make it do what it does, and soon they begin to predict the movements of the watch. And they're becoming even more fascinated, but they're also being filled with pride. They begin to gloat over their knowledge of this watch. They begin to, they begin to write publications. They begin to hold conferences, and some of them are writing books. And they begin to be just enthralled with the pride that they feel because they somehow grasp and understand this watch. Soon another group of elders develop. They call themselves philosophers, theologians. They also are studying the watch. When this group puts it down, they're picking up the watch and they're looking at it, but they're driven by something even deeper. They're asking, where did the watch come from? Who made it? And what's its purpose? They're asking, why the watch? Number six, soon the theoretical physicists, those scientists, those that, that have studied the laws that govern the watch, they begin to weigh in and they're disturbed by this philosophical, theological group over here and who dares to pose questions and undoubtedly are not qualified to ask some of the things. And so they begin to write rebuttals to this group and, and uh, they're, they're, they're filled with pride. The watch is being studied extensively. Number seven, some begin to say, we can never know who made the watch. We can never know the purpose of the watch. So let's not discuss the watch because it creates too much tension on the island. The philosophers and the theologians argue, they say if there's no discussion as to the who and the why, if there's no asking as to the purpose of this watch, if there is no who or why, if there is no creator of the watch, then what does it matter if we don't take the watch out there and just stomp it into the sand if it has no purpose, if it has no meaning? I want to stop here and say something. 
That is why there are so many murders in the city of Jackson. Because see, evolution says there's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no creator. You and I are a fluke of nature. Abortion devalues and says it's just a mass of of, of flesh and it can be exterminated and tossed to the side because there's no purpose, there's no meaning. We're not created in the image of God. We're not fearfully and wonderfully made. Atheism, the belief that there is no God. You see, all of that affects this city and affects the young people that are growing up in this educational environment. And the thought is, what does it matter if you destroy another life if there's no creator and there's no purpose? Isn't that a good question? You see, we have made the environment that we're living in today in America. R.C. Sproul made this, and this may offend you, but R.C. Sproul made this statement. He said, if there is no God and thereby no purpose, who cares where a black or a white germ sits on the bus? Strong statement, but it's true. So what's our conclusions from the watch analogy? Number one, science. Because a watch represents our universe. It represents our creation. It represents you and I. One, science is limited to the components of the watch. In other words, all they can do is look at the watch and study the different components of the watch and try to figure out why the watch behaves the way that it does. And they begin to formulate some kind of laws or something that governs the behavior of the watch. But it still doesn't answer the who and the why of the watch. Stephen Hawkins has his latest book. And Stephen Hawkins, I believe his IQ is 160, that of Albert Einstein. Stephen Hawkins, in his latest book, The Grand Design, which is a New York Times bestseller, made this statement. He said, one can't prove that God does not exist. Now listen to this, parent. One can't prove, one cannot prove that God does not exist. But science makes God unnecessary. In other words, what he argues is is that invoking God is not necessary to explain the origins of our universe. In other words, what he is simply saying is, by the laws of nature, and in this book, The Grand Design, he says the law of gravity is the reason that the universe was brought into existence. He says God, invoking God, is not necessary to explain the origins of the universe. And the Big Bang is the consequence of the laws of physics. In other words, we don't need to think about God. We don't need to look at God. We don't need to think about a creator because the laws will explain the creation itself. That's a poor summation there. And you may say, well, his IQ is unbelievable. An IQ equal with that of Albert Einstein. He's a professor at, uh, at Oxford University. Well, there are other professors at Oxford University, a famous mathematician, a brilliant man by the name of John Lennox, who goes all over the world and defends the faith as a Christian and argues against Stephen Hawking's conclusions. Never think you're alone in this academic world when you're battling parent. And parent, you better listen closely. And grandma and grandpa, you better listen closely. 
There is not a growing atheism in, a, in America and in the world. There is an anti-God movement. So our note, when I, I just wrote down here, the leading mind at our Island Spring Convention writes a book saying that the other group, the philosophers and the theologians, are not necessary. And neither is God necessary. You see, we've studied the watch. we figured out how the watch is governed, how it works, and that's all that matters. We are experts. The philosophers and theologians respond on the island, the observable laws that govern the behavior of the watch cannot answer the who or the why of the watch. We may, we may understand and look at the dynamics, the laws that govern these physical bodies, our universe, but in no way do those physical laws explain the who and the why and why we're here and who put us here. It doesn't explain our origin just as it doesn't explain the origin of the watch, but it gives us a glimpse into who made the watch. When I study this body, and I see the intricate detail of it, I begin to say, what is man that thou art mindful of him, that you should visit him? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. How fascinating. And even Charles Darwin said, the human eye, the human eye at the point of conception and development in the womb, he says, is a million miracles taking place at once. And he says, the human eye, this man that was raised by a minister, this individual who wrote the theory of evolution, says the human eye perplexes me. Robbie Zacharias said this, listen parents, he said the church has sent young minds, in other words, we have sent our children without the tools to survive in this modern world. And they're getting chewed up. These young minds, once out of high school, have abandoned their faith. The present trend today is over 90% of young people who graduate out of high school leave the church, and for many of those, never come back after they graduate. Robbie Zacharias went on to do... He's a great defender of the faith, a great man of God. He went on to conclude, he made this statement, he said, parents must listen and learn and chew until it is palatable to their children. You know what that means? It means this. You had better understand not only why this book is the inerrant, infallible word of God, why it is truth without any mixture of error. You better not only understand what Genesis means and, and how to interpret it, you must also understand the attacks that are being leveled against it. When I get in the tub at night, I lay down. My phone is always there. I'm not waiting on a phone call. I'm listening to John Lennox, Robbie Zacharias, those great defenders of the faith who literally are telling me how to teach my children, now my grandchildren, that their faith is solid. And don't be intimidated when you're in the academic world. Amy, years ago when she was in dental school, began to take, and I know Tamara knows this, she was in gross anatomy. Gross anatomy is, is gross. <laughs> I'll never forget when Amy was assigned her cadaver. 
and and uh, and she said, "Dad, it's 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 strange because you go in there and there's these vats, and and, and, and all of a sudden you're assigned your cadaver." And, and she said, "You know, people, some people had." gross cadavers. I mean, she said they were cutting through layers and layers and layers of fat and moving and doing this, trying to say, she said, oh, dad, but I was so thankful. She said, I had a 60-year-old, what looked to be about a 60-something-year-old man who had worked all of his life. He was lean in his muscles, and she said it was interesting. And sometimes, listen, Tamara, I don't know if this strength, she would cry over her cadaver. I even wrote a story one time about her cadaver. There were times that Amy would go there at night, and I'm sure you probably have done this. She would go in there at night. She said, Dad, it's a strange feeling. I said, well, aren't you scared? She said, no, you just kind of get used to it. And Tamara's sitting here going, "Mm, that's right. She said, I'd go in there, I'd cut the light on, I'd walk in there by myself, I'd hit that button, and here my cadaver would come up out of that formaldehyde or whatever the solution is. And she said, then I would begin to study and prepare for the test that was coming up. But she made this statement. She said, Dad, she went through a dark time, a time when her faith was being, her, her faith was really battling and struggling and, and being assaulted by some of those within the medical community, within medical school and dental school. And she said, Dad, my, my faith is kind of shaky right now. Let me tell you what I did. I dug down into the trenches of some of those medical textbooks. And I began to read and study some of the great men and women, doctors, men like Ben Carson, an African-American, a prominent, unbelievable man of God. And I began to understand that there were a great many doctors, men and women, who had devoted their life to simply saying, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a creator behind all of this. And walked my daughter, who was out of college, in dental school through a very dark time. You see, like a bird that chews. Young parent, are you listening? Say amen. Like a young, like a a bird, like a mama bird that chews and understands not only the word of God, but understands those voices that are attacking the credibility and the integrity of God's word. Like a parent, mom, or dad, you're studying, you're beating them to the punch. Kids come home, they're confused from school because they're hearing theory of evolution by some second-rate scientist, uh, a science teacher who probably is not qualified to attack anyway. And you have the opportunity to come and say, well, okay, now let's look at what the Word of God has to say. And then let's look at some great men and women who do not agree with your science teacher and literally would laugh them and debate them right out of the room. Why do you think they're teaching 7th grade science? Hawking's is a naturalist. It is the belief that only the laws of nature, the physical laws, as opposed to anything supernatural or spiritual, can explain everything, even the creation of the universe. That's why he's written this latest book. A materialist is much like a naturalist. Someone who believes that that, uh, who believes that the only thing that exists is matter. In other words, this is it. That's all there is to it. And, and uh, it came into being. It just got here by the laws, just much like a naturalist. But then there's the theist. Those are the individuals that believe and conceive of a God, a creator that is personal and present and active in the governing and the organization of this universe and of this world. This earth is tilted at exactly at exactly the right degree. 
Jupiter sits out there like a mighty shield in our solar system, protecting us from much of the asteroids and meteorite showers that would destroy us in a moment if it wasn't sitting exactly where it's sitting. The moon is exactly where it needs to be, affecting our waves and, and affecting our lives in such a way if it wasn't there. God intricately and meticulously designed this universe for us. The theist conceives of a God that is personal and present and active in the organization and the governing of this world. There's something beyond what we can see and what we can experience. A deist, not like a theist, believes the same thing. But a deist, and some of our forefathers were deists. Their thought was, yes, there was a creator set everything in motion and then he left town. So what's our conclusion here? We as Christians, before we even begin to move into this book, need to grasp and understand the first four words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning. In the beginning. Let's say it together now. In God. You see, we as Christians, we believe the creator of the watch visited the island. He left a book of instructions on the watch. Are you looking? Here it is. How many of you have even picked it up this week and spent any time in it? This is the instruction to every detail of your life. Every problem is here is answered. Any problem with the watch, any difficulty with the watch, any question that you have about the watch, it's all right here. So we as Christians believe that God left a book of instructions for his creation. We believe as Christians that the creator of the watch actually decided to visit the island. In other words, one day the creator of the watch came and he said, I see you all found the watch. Let me show you what, oh, I see you haven't wound it up. It's starting to tick again. See, you people are so stupid. I mean, you people are so, you see. You call yourself experts, but you don't know some of the elementary things. And, and, and so the creator of the watch visited and began to teach. He put on the watch. He explained the uses of the watch. He, he wore it around on the island. He began to tell them the purpose and the intent and the benefits of the watch. We as Christians believe that Jesus warned that the watch would help us live our life. If we would incorporate its spiritual principles and law, if we would yield our lives over to the watch, put the watch on and wear it throughout the rest of our life, that this watch could help us get our lives in order and make sense out of our lives and give us purpose. If we'll just put the watch on and begin to use it as the Creator intended. Look this way. The watch is creation. The watch is representative of you and I. In the beginning, God. Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein stated, in the view of such harmony in the cosmos, which I with my limit, listen to this, the most brilliant man probably on the earth, uh, 160 IQ, a perfect score IQ-wise, brilliant man. Listen to what he said. And hey, while you're worrying because your kid didn't speak, 
Well, Junior, he just doesn't seem to be able to, to do as well as his peers. He didn't speak till he was about three or four years old. Maybe Junior don't have nothing to say. They thought Albert Einstein was a special needs child that needed special attention. He didn't fit in. He wasn't a jock on the ball field, but I can tell you one thing, the theory of relativity was circulating around God and put a lot of mysteries about the universe into his head. Listen to what Albert Einstein said. Albert Einstein said, In the view of such harmony in the cosmos, which I, with my limited human mind, listen to the humility there, am able to recognize they are yet, there are yet people who say there is no God. But what makes me really angry is that they quote me for support of such a view. He went on to say, we know nothing about God in the world at all. Our knowledge is but the knowledge of school children. Possible we shall know a little more than we do now, but the real nature of things that we shall, we shall never know, never. He continues, I see, listen to this, he continued, Albert Einstein, I see a pattern, but my imagination cannot picture the maker of the pattern. I see a clock but cannot envision the clockmaker. He concludes as a child, listen to this, as a child I received instruction in both the Bible and the Talmud. I am a Jew. Now listen to what he said. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. When asked about the historical figure of Jesus, he was asked, do you believe? He became animated. Albert Einstein said, unquestionably, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every single word of the Gospel. No myth is filled with such life. Wow. In the beginning, God. Two points quickly and then we'll close. First of all, there's a beginning, Right? Bible says in the beginning, so that means there was a beginning. God gave an account that was relative to our understanding and our capacity to grasp. Now let me explain that, and we'll move. I'm, I'm just give me a few minutes, and then we'll close. If you take a physics book and go down to the preschool department, what are those kids going to do? Now I can tell you what Silas will do. Jeffrey and Megan's little boy, he's going to chew it up. He teethes on books. Megan said she was looking for him the other day and he was in there eating the toilet paper. Of course, it was a new role. You see, if you carried a physics book down to the children down in the preschool, they'd, they'd look at you because they lacked the capacity to grasp and understand. When God was putting his word together, he put it together in such a way that you and I could understand it. And the first four words is a remarkable leap of faith because as in the beginning, God, God was there. In chapter 1, there are 32 times in 31 verses, God or Creator. 43 times the personal pronoun that relates to God. In the first chapter, you know what the chapter is about? It's all about God or Creator. There is a beginning. How many of you have heard of the Big Bang? Now, the Big Bang, in, in some ways, has been a good thing. 
What the Big Bang is, is basically this. When they begin to study our universe, they begin to see that our universe was expanding. It was moving out. It was like ripples. Like if you threw a rock in a, in, in a pond. You ever throw a rock in a pond and you'll watch and all of a sudden you'll see those ripples begin to go out? Well, this is what they saw in the universe. They began to see that the universe was expanding out. It was moving out, and they began to gauge these ripples and the space between this, this, this radiation, this heat. And as they began to do that, they began to understand that undoubtedly at some point in the past, this universe had an instantaneous, catastrophic, single event, a beginning, and it exploded. And we, the theologians... We're going, we know the answer. We got the answer. In the beginning, God. You see, no other religion talked about a beginning. The Hindu, the Buddhist, the, the, the other religions didn't. The only reason the Muslims got it right because they, they plagiarized, Muhammad plagiarized the Bible. The Jew and the Christian were sitting there going, yeah, we knew the answer to that one. I can tell you the Big Bang. You know what the Big Bang is? God spoke and it took place. You see, it's kind of like this. I was down there. We've got a creek behind our house. And I was down there one day and, and I, saw, I saw a ripple. I saw, and it looked like something had fallen out off the bank into the water because the ripples began to go out. Next thing I knew, I began to look, and I went to where I saw those ripples begin, because see, the ripples had a beginning. In other words, something had entered the water, had disturbed the water. So I knew where that something was, and I could determine by the ripples and the space between them that it hadn't been that long ago. What was a giant cottonmouth moccasin? Oh, by the way, I went back and got my BB gun and hit him right on top of the head. He went crazy, but I hope he's dead. You see... An instantaneous moment. God created this catastrophic event that the scientific community calls the Big Bang. An explosion of nothing resulted in something. My friend, listen. You ought to laugh when people talk about that. You know what John Lennox does as great professor, this brilliant man with just about a matching IQ with Stephen Hawkins? Do you know what he does? He relishes the opportunity to debate with Stephen Hawkins. And he just laughs. He's a big old jolly guy. And he just laughs as if he's delighting in the dialogue. Just a brilliant man. Cambridge, Oxford, Harvard. He moves to all the major academic centers to debate and defend the credibility of the Scripture. Anytime we move from disorder to order in meticulous order, that is illogical. You need to teach your children this. I heard this from Marcy Sproul years ago. He said, think of it this way. In your brain, in your brain is a little fat policeman. Okay, I want you to picture you got a little fat, little short fat policeman and he's got a little baton and he's got his little badge and he's got his little baton. And every time you hear something that's illogical, that doesn't make sense, the little fat policeman pulls out his baton and he hits you on top of the head and says, that's not logical, that's not logical. Explosions of nothing that produce the complexity of our universe and us is not logical. Quit listening to that. That's not logical. You see, and that's what you and I have to teach our children. Now, secondly, and then we'll close... In the beginning, there's a beginning and there's a beginner. 
Isn't that great? In the beginning, God, a catalyst, an initiator, someone who set all of this in motion, who called, who called out of nothingness. The Hebrew word here is bara. It means to create or to fashion or to shape. And God is always the subject of that Hebrew word there, bara. In other words, we may say the boy ran, dog ran, girl ran, rabbit ran. You know, it can have a lot of different subjects. But when you say Barah in the Hebrew, you can only put that to God. Fifty-five times, instantaneous, miraculously, God Barah. He calls something out of nothing. Let's stand. Let me give you an example of that. Do you remember when Jesus was faced with a crowd of about 10,000? And the disciples said, you remember they came and Jesus began to kind of make them think a little bit. And he said, you know, we've got a big crowd here. They haven't eaten. It's not good for them to go home. They're not fed. So what do you guys think we ought to do? And Philip said, well, you know, Lord, we don't laugh, Jesus. But we found a boy that's got a, he's got a happy meal. Uh, he's got the uh, he's got he's got a, a a box of chicken nuggets and an order of fries and a small coke. And Jesus goes, we can work with that. You got it? You got it with me? Oh yeah. Let me have those chicken nuggets and fries. He begins to pray. And then what did the Bible say? It begins to just multiply. The word there, the, 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 the picture there is bara. If you look at it, even in the Greek, it is as if the bread and the fish started coming out of his hands. Literally coming out of his hands. He was calling it into existence. In the beginning, God. It's a great way to start this book. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. And yet we thank you for the complexity as we begin to study and analyze, dear Lord, this universe and our human bodies and how we were made how we are made. We pray, dear Lord, that you would just wrap your arms around us in the weeks and the months to come as we see the first family of Adam and Eve and watch as they struggle to raise their own children. How conflict and division comes into that family and how it brings great heartache. May we just watch as we journey through the earth as it becomes so chaotic that finally God looks and he finds a man by the name of Moses. I meant Noah, a righteous man. And he says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. And I'm going to save a remnant. And I'm going to destroy everything else. And we're going we're to wipe the slate clean. And we're going to start all over again. I thank you for Abraham there among the Chaldeans in the, in the region of Ur. I thank you, dear Lord, as he came before God and God said, Abraham, I want you to take your wife and your, and, and, your, and your family and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And we, out of that came the Abrahamic covenant. 
I thank you for Isaac. I thank you for Jacob. I thank you for Joseph. I thank you, dear Lord, that in the midst of 400 years of captivity, that you were still busy making a people. Father, may we fall in love with this first book. May our lives be forever changed. And in those deep, dark hours when we feel so lonely, may we hear those words, in the beginning, God. We thank you that you not only created us, you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. We pray, dear Lord, that everyone in this room knows you. And we pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that does not know the maker of the watch, may that person come to Christ today. And may you, dear Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to live in them and through them and to change their life. Father, may those in this room who are struggling and feel like they have nothing or they are nothing or their situation is hopeless and helpless, it feels like nothing. May they understand that God, you are the God that speaks out of nothing something. We thank you for that. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.